You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now you need to be quick. I'm going to ask you a question. You ready? If I were to ask you the question, what is faith? Bang. What do you think of? What is faith? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? What is faith? Yeah, all, all kind, yeah. I hear, I hear quoting uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Maybe you thought of a word. Maybe you thought of trust. Maybe you thought of the word belief. Maybe you thought of a circumstance you've just come through. It took faith. Can I tell you what I think of when I think of faith now? Take a look at this. This is what I think of, and this is what comes to my mind when I think of faith. I think of Abraham and Isaac. Is that faith or what? To come to a place to where you'd be willing to trust God in that way? You know what that picture also represents? That picture represents God and Jesus, right? For God, imagine him being Abraham, so loved the world that he gave John 3, 16, he gave, he was willing to sacrifice. That's not Isaac then, that's Jesus. Do you see? You know what else that picture represents? This will blow your mind. That picture represents worship. You look at me and you go, okay, you've lost your mind. That, listen, that picture represents worship. I want you to hang on with me for a moment. I want you to think about this. If you start with Genesis and you work your way all the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, what you will find throughout is that true worship always requires sacrifice. Always. I will go even so far as to say this. I am convinced we can't truly worship the Lord God without having a faith that sacrifices. Would you agree? The title of today's message is Faith That Sacrifices. You've made your way to Hebrews 11. We are all the way down to verse 17. Three verses for our consideration today. 17 through 19. Follow along with me in your Bibles. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, and oh, was he tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises, that's Abraham, was in the act. He had raised the knife of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You know, as I've studied this week, I found that some people don't like this account of Abraham and Isaac at all. You want to know why? Because they don't think it places God in a good light. They don't like the fact that God tested Abraham in this way. They think it makes God look like some kind of monster. That he would say to Abraham, offer up your son. They say it's not fair. Church, was it fair that God had to give up his only son? 
Was it fair that Jesus had to die on the cross and had never done anything wrong? Was it fair that he had to die for your sins and mine? Was that fair? No, it wasn't. And yet there was sacrifice. Listen, to give up that which is most precious is true sacrifice. That is true worship. Again, I would argue if there is no sacrifice, there hasn't been true worship. And I would argue that you and I can't truly exhibit faith without a faith that's willing to sacrifice and not just talk about it. Sacrifice takes place and then we worship. And we can't say we've worshiped unless there's been sacrifice. And you know what? You know, it's one thing, it's one thing to say that we have experienced the presence of God in a place like this and we come and worship when everything is good. But how about to worship God when he's testing and things are really bad, or so it seems? This morning I want us to ask ourselves, you ask yourself as I ask myself, do we truly have a faith that sacrifices? Because the truth is, if we don't, we can't honestly say that we're actually here this morning to worship. If we're not willing to sacrifice and show that as an act of obedience and faith, then all we've come here to do, let's just be honest, is to get. We've just come here this morning to get fed, right? And I get that. We've come here this morning to fill up our spiritual tank. But are we here today to worship you see, if we're here today to worship, we don't come to get. We come to give. We come to sacrifice. We bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Is that why you've come today? Or are you here just to get? Oh, church family, we can so easily make worship into something it's not. We can remake worship into something that's for us instead of for Him. So we come to get. So we throw a $20 bill in the offering plate. And it's like you've bought a ticket. And you just sit here and just see how it goes. Was the music good? Was the preaching good? Was he too loud? Was he too soft? Was it comfortable? And it becomes all about me. You got people complaining there's not enough this, there's not enough that. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And we offer a sacrifice. Or are we? I know this is heavy. But I'm telling you, we cannot even begin to remotely understand what Abraham went through, the essence of the worship that he showed, if we can't understand and grasp that worship is sacrifice. Always has been. And you see, that is true to these Hebrews. I mean, they understand sacrifice. So I don't get it. Think back with me, Hebrews, written to Hebrews, Jews. The Apostle Paul, I believe, writing here to these first century Jews, many of whom are Christians now. They've trusted their lives to Jesus, so now they're called Christians. But there are still some Jews on the fence. They have yet to step in faith and trust in Christ. And so Paul is writing really to encourage those who have 
trusted Christ and going through difficult circumstances, and he's also really being evangelistic here and saying, trust Christ as our great high priest. And because, see, they'd had a high priest, right? These Jews. I mean, they knew all about sacrifice. They knew you couldn't come worship without a sacrifice. So what did they bring? When they came to the temple, of course, they brought a sacrifice. Of course, these Jews knew what it meant to worship. They brought a sacrifice, a lamb. And they would bring it to the temple. Oh, untold millions and millions of lambs for centuries up until the first century when Jesus came. All of those lambs. Oh, the temple was a very bloody place. And it had to be, because we know that at the center of worship is sacrifice. That's Hebrews 9. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of what? Sin. Mm. This is so interesting. As I studied this week, I found out what God called the temple. You go, yeah, Jesus called it a house of prayer. No, 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 not Jesus. Not the second person of the... Godhead, but God the Father. You want to know what God the Father called the temple? I'll show it to you. It's 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. God is having a conversation with Solomon, the builder of the first temple. And here's what the Bible says. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to Solomon, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. You see? Sacrifice. God called his house his house of sacrifice. What do we call this we're doing right now? We call it the what service? Huh? The worship service. Back in the old days, we called it preaching. You know? Did you go to Sunday school? I didn't make it today. I just made it to preaching. It doesn't matter. But I'm just, I'm simply saying that today, typically, commonly, we call this the worship service. It's not worship if there is not sacrifice. I wonder how many people actually worship on Sundays. God called his house a house of sacrifice, and that's exactly what happened over and over. I want you to see this picture. Look at this. Just look at the depiction of how it looked. Day after day, I mean, all those lambs slain, constantly reminding the people of their sin, the monotonous repetition of those sacrifices. Imagine the smell of blood and that burnt flesh day after day, constant reminders of the cost of sin. I wonder if we have a reminder at all of what it cost Jesus to die, to be the Lamb of God. Do we even, are we reminded of that? Those people were reminded, those Jews, they could smell it all those centuries of blood. You know, and something had been lost. That's the whole point of Hebrews. What they had boiled down, this relationship with God, was that it was no longer something they could have on their own. And so what it had turned into for the Hebrews was the fact that they just did stuff. Had to wash their hands a lot. Had to keep all these festivals. And they had to bring a lamb to the temple. If they couldn't afford a lamb, it was a pigeon or a dove. If they couldn't afford that, it would be something like a grain offering. But they had to do stuff. And then they felt they couldn't even talk to God. 
And so they just turned it all over to the priesthood. And the priests, they sacrificed the lamb. And one time a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and offer the blood up for the people, and the people did nothing. They were just spectators. Just watching. And they'd forgotten that they can have a personal relationship. Hence, chapter 11. Paul goes back and he describes all of these people, the heroes of their faith, who had, guess what? A personal relationship with God. Where did we start? Abel. Right? One of the first kids. Adam and Eve's son brought the acceptable sacrifice to God. Where did we go next? Enoch. Oh, Enoch. Man, this guy had such a great personal relationship with God, he just walked right into heaven. He never died. And then Noah. Wow. Noah trusted God by faith and for decades built a boat. Amazing. And we saw last week Abraham. Abraham, God had appeared to him. He was a pagan. Remember? Terah, his dad, was an idol worshiper. And we saw this in Joshua. Joshua described in his book the fact that not only was he a pagan idol worshiper, so was Abraham and his brother. God said, leave and come follow me. And I want you to go to a place that I'm not even going to tell you where it is yet. Just leave. That took great faith. And we come to today. This test with Abraham and Isaac. Now to see this, we need to go back to the original account. And the only way to do that is to go back to the original account. Guess where that is? Genesis. So go back there with me, will you? Genesis chapter 22. Go back to Genesis 22. Now I'm going to tell you as you get to 22, Genesis 22, I'm going to kind of jump around throughout the passage, but I want you to be able to see this. We're going to pick up in verse number 6 to start with. You made your way there? Genesis 22, verse 6, the account of Abraham and Isaac. 22, 6, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid the wood on Isaac, his son. Imagine Abraham taking wood and laying it on the back of his son. And he took in his hand, Abraham did, the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. You're going to see that phrase again. Both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And Abraham said, here I am, my son. And he said, hey, dad, I see the fire and I see the wood. Where's the lamb? Daddy, where's the lamb? For the burnt offering. And Abraham said, verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. There it is again. So they went, both of them, together. Now, church, I see here in this passage the fact that this wasn't Abraham and Isaac's first rodeo. This Isaac knew what sacrifice was. He knew what it was to go build an altar and worship because of what he said. He didn't ask, where are we going? He knew exactly what they were going to do. He said, we've got the, we've got the knife, that's to kill the lamb, and we've got the, the fire to burn it and the wood to burn it on. Where's the lamb? Isaac knew exactly what was happening. At this point, what do they have? They got fire and wood. And all that will make is smoke. 
And this, this thought hit me, and, I, and you got your steel-toed shoes on? I wonder sometimes if that's not what we have in a lot of churches across America on Sundays is just a lot of smoke, not a lot of sacrifice. We got a lot of make me happy. Listen, I watch the trends. I'm a stats guy. I'm a former businessman. I look at trends. I look at other churches. I watch their stuff online, and I, I hear these mealy-mouthed preachers, these preachers preaching these little homilies, these little tickle-me-ears preachers, you know, have your best life now, little preachers, give a little sermonette for Christianettes. You know what I'm saying? And you know what they never talk about? Ever. Sin. Never. Sin. Don't want to talk about it. Why? Because it doesn't make me feel good. How do you get saved unless you know you're lost? Right? How do you deliver good news unless you know there's bad news? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Church, God is holy. How can we live the way we live and say that we're bringing to Jesus our lives? Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your what? Cross. What do you do on a cross, people? You die, and it's bloody, right? It's a sacrifice. We give up our lives to get it back. Isn't that what the Bible describes in Romans chapter 12? You know these verses. Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. As a living what? Sacrifice. That's how we're to offer our lives. Listen, if we're living our lives for ourselves, we are not a living sacrifice. Because God is holy. See that? That is our holy and acceptable act to God. What kind of act? Watch it. Which is your spiritual, what's the word? Worship. Do you see it? In order to worship, there must be sacrifice. How can we say that we're following Jesus if we continue to give in to all of the things that are placed before us to get us off that path? Look into the face of Jesus. That's what I keep telling myself. That's what I keep telling others. Look, you're struggling with sin. You're struggling with something in your life that's had a stronghold in your life. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You're going to choose Jesus. You're going to choose the sin. That's what I said to the crowd last night. You're going to choose Jesus. You're going to choose the sin. Don't, don't look at the sin. Satan wants you to look at the sin and how enticing it is. And you can rationalize it and justify it why you can do it right now. Right now. Why it's okay. No, no, no. Don't look at the sin. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And once we begin to look at Jesus, we'll begin to see the sin for what it is. Black, dark, vicious, nasty trying to take you and twist you up and make you, even as a Christian, miserable because we succumb to the sin and then Satan laughs. He tempts us, then we do it, and then he mashes our face in it. Look at you, Christian. Mashes our face in the very thing he tempts us with. Oh, see what temptation is. It's a call to sacrifice. Oh, not to God, but to the idol of ourselves. To sin. Have it now. Do it your way. Abraham had to make the decision. Would he offer 
himself as a living sacrifice. Verse 2 says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, I thought of Peter. Peter, a man who obviously had a lot of problems. Oh, loudmouth Peter always had his foot in his mouth, kind of like me. You know your blessing is your curse. You know that? My blessing is my mouth because I preach, but it is also my curse, believe me. Peter always had his foot in his mouth, let his tongue get ahead of his brain. Peter came to the point in life that the Romans were sick and tired of him. They were tired of his testimony. So they were going to kill him. And the early church fathers record the fact that he was crucified. You know how Peter was crucified? How? Anybody know? Upside down. He said, I'm not worthy to be sacrificed like my Savior. Peter said these words, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone. And Jesus was rejected by men. But in the sight of God, Jesus was chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy, see it, a holy priesthood to offer what? There it is, spiritual sacrifices to walk away from the sin and choose Jesus. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Are we offering our lives as spiritual sacrifices today? Or are we sitting here today as hypocrites, throwing a few dollars in the offering plate and watching the show? Abraham had to choose to no longer to conform to the patterns of this world. Remember what he was? A pagan idol worshiper. That's what he was. And God chose him. Why? So that Abraham could take no credit for being good enough to be chosen by God. And God chose him. And he said, will you believe? God offers that to all of us today. Will you believe? Will you trust in me? I sent Jesus. Trust him. And God said to Abraham, leave. Abraham said, go. I'll do it. And he did. And he trusted Yahweh. What an amazing test. Oh, that test I'm telling you, would you agree, was nothing compared to the test that's now coming to sacrifice his son. It's one thing to pack up all your belongings and move. It's another thing to sacrifice your kid. This is, this is where it gets heavy. Watch this. Chapter 22, verse 1. Jump back to verse 1. We were there in verses 6. Through eight a moment ago, down, go, go to the first of the chapter. I told you we'd jump around. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now notice Abraham answered the Lord. He said, here I am. What does that mean? He recognized the voice of the Lord. Do you? Do you recognize the voice of the Lord? Can you tell when he's speaking? Jesus said, my sheep hear me and they recognize my voice. Can you discern the voice of Jesus? Listen, the voice of Jesus is like a snowplow, 
clearing the way so you can see black asphalt and you begin to see the way. How fast does a snowplow move? Very slow. And oftentimes that's how the Lord is. He's very deliberate, but it's very certain in your mind. Listen, when you've heard from God, it's very certain. It's as clear as asphalt on a snowy day. Can you discern the voice of God? Abraham did. And what did God say to Abraham? Did you notice how he described Isaac? He said, offer up your son, your only son, the son you love. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Abraham's got another son. You remember? Who? Ishmael. You remember that deal? It's been a long time since the promise. You remember how long Abraham and Sarah had to wait for Isaac to be born? 25 years. You, th you think you've been waiting a long time for God to do something in your life. 25 years. And Sarah came to Abraham and said, Abe, enough of this waiting. Here's Hagar. She's our handmaid. She's kind of our servant, kind of cleans the house. You and her have a kid. And they did. Ishmael. You know who Ishmael is? The Bible describes him. He'd be a wild donkey of a man, and he would always fight against his brother. Isaac would have a son. His son was Jacob, who was renamed to Israel. And Ishmael, as the father of the Arab nations, and literally of Muhammad all the way down to Islam, fighting against Israel to this day. Death to Israel. Ishmael, oh, what a mess we make when we get ahead of God. When we decide to do it in our own time, in our own way, in our own resources. Wait! Oh, wait. Some of you, some of you needed to hear that. Oh, don't rush him. Dare to stand still. Bloom where you're at until he tells you, until you know you've heard from God. This isn't rolling the dice and hoping it works out. This is not crossing fingers, rubbing lucky rabbit's feet. This is hearing from God. And Abraham was told, go sacrifice the son you love. Why did God say that? Your only son. It's the, he's the only son of promise. That's the point. The promise was coming through Isaac. Promise of what? Jesus. Jesus would come. That's why God had to pick a people. He picked Abraham through whom from his line could come his son, the ultimate son of promise, to save those who would receive him by faith. Think about this. Here's Abraham. He finally gets his son of promise. And now God says to do what to him? Kill him. <laughs> Are any of you there right now? You're going, Lord, I don't get it. <laughs> You're in a good spot. Keep trusting his word. Abraham was going to have to trust God. What had God told him? Through this boy is going to come descendants, as numerous as the stars in the heaven and the innumerable sands on the seashore. But you've told me to take him to a mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. There's no hesitation on Abraham's part. We didn't read any hesitation in verses 1 and 2. The Bible just says that he left and he went to the mountain. Do you know how long they traveled to get to the mountain from where they were in the promised land? Now, anytime somebody asks you a number in the Bible, guess 3, 12, or 40. You'll have your answer about 90% of the time. 3, 12, or 40. 
So let's, let's take a guess. How many days do you think it took for Abraham and Isaac to get to Mount Moriah? Three. Abraham and Isaac leave. Are you listening to me? This is where your mind's going to start to sway. You've got to listen to me. For three days, Isaac was as good as dead to Abraham. How long was Jesus in the grave? Three days. Three days. Off they go to Moriah. How do you think Abraham felt walking beside of his son? Do you think there were times that Isaac looked up at his daddy and he saw his dad wiping tears? Papa, what's wrong? It's, it's, it's fine, son. Come on. Come on. Do you think Abraham slept? Hmm? You think he could even eat? His son was as good as dead to him. All oh, the anguish, the terror. <laughs> this has happened to me twice. All I could think about is Andrew, my son, my one son. But you think of, of any of your children. Can you imagine? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a papa now. I'm a grandpa. I, I, I can't even fathom what Abraham had to be experiencing. And this brings us to verse 9. Genesis 22, 9. Look at it. When they came to the place of which God told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Can you let that sink in? Church, as I studied this week, I found that there were some that wanted to claim that Isaac was like a baby or a small toddler. How could a small toddler carry all the wood on his back as Isaac did? It had to be enough wood for what? To burn a lamb. That's quite a bit of wood. There's something else we're going to see when we get down to verse 12, and I want to tell it to you now, and we'll get to the verse in a moment. Isaac is described as a boy, but we need to look at the Hebrew word for boy. The Hebrew word is na'ar. N-A apostrophe A-R, Na'ar. You know what it means? It is the same word that was used of David when he slew Goliath. Was David like five years old? No. The word Na'ar in Hebrew means adolescent or what we would know of today as a teenager. You with me? That's how Isaac could carry this wood. That's how he could understand what it meant to carry the knife and the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb, right? Oh, by the way, they bound. Listen, Abraham bound his son. Why? What'd you have to do to a lamb? You had to tie it up. Why? Because the lamb would jump off the altar. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a rock-hewn altar. They just stacked up these uncut rocks, put the wood on top. 
Bind up the lamb, stick it on top, slit its throat, and then burn it. Start the wood on fire and burn it. How old was Abraham? How old was he when he got his son? Think this through now. A hundred. And let's just go with this. Let's just say that Isaac being a Naar, let's say he's 15. Is that okay? Let's just pick a number. So let's do the math now. How old would Abraham be? 115. Now let me ask you something. Do you think a 15-year-old Naar is going to be bound by a 115-year-old man if he didn't want to be bound? No. And I found this, this picture, this image, that riveted me. I can't hardly look at it. Do you know what this shows me? Not only the faith of Abraham, but the faith of Isaac. Okay, Daddy. Okay, Papa. Okay. Yeah, you, you, probably, ought to, you probably ought to buy me. I'm afraid I'll jump off of this thing when you light the fire if I'm not dead. Go ahead, Papa. Can you imagine the tears falling off of Abraham's face? And he laid his boy up there. Can you imagine? That's the faith of Isaac as well. This was a test for both of them. You say, I don't get the test. What is the test? Here's what I believe the test was. Just how far would God have to go before he found something in Abraham's life that Abraham refused to surrender? That's the test. And that's the test for us. Just how far will God have to go in our lives until he finds something that we say to God, no, no, not that, no. And when we say that, do you know what we've just made for ourselves? An idol. For some, it's as simple as a car. They won't give it up. God says, sell the car. Give the money away. No. For some, it's a job. For some, it's a career. For some, it's a, you pick it. What is it? What is it that you won't give up? You say, you're trying to shame us, Pastor. No, I'm not. I'm simply trying to get us to a place that we can feel the overwhelming magnitude of what Abraham was experiencing on Moriah. A.W. Tozer, such a profound man, and he shares these words about what this means to us in regards to Abraham and Isaac. Listen and see these words. Tozer says this, we must in our hearts live through Abraham's harsh and bitter experiences if we would know the blessedness which follows them. The ancient curse will not go out painlessly. The tough old miser, self, within us will not lie down and die obedient to our command. He must be torn out of our heart like a plant from the soil. He must be extracted in agony and blood like a tooth from the jaw. He must be expelled from our soul by violence as Christ expelled the money changers from the temple. 
Oh, if we are to set upon the pursuit of God to truly worship Him, then He will sooner or later bring us to the test of total surrender. End of quote. So I'll ask you to look at the screens again and let this picture sink in. That is faith. I'll say this now and I'll say it again next week. The demonstration of faith is always obedience to God's Word. The demonstration of faith is always obedience to God's Word. The knife is raised and he's ready to do it. But something happened. You still in Genesis 22? Look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, exclamation point. This is a shout. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the nar. Don't lay your hand on the boy, the teenager, the adolescent, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Oh, Abraham believed so fully that he was willing to sacrifice his son. But how? How, 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 how could Abraham get to that point? I would have justified it away. I would have said, no, I ain't hearing from God. This can't be God. This is ridiculous. This makes no sense whatsoever. Look at verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Now, now this, I'm going to build on something. This is beautiful. Verse 5, then Abraham said to his young men, who is this? These are servants. Remember how, how long was the journey? How many days? Three. So they had to have food, right? Had to have a place to sleep. Had to make an encampment, right? Okay? So they got a donkey to carry this stuff. Stay here with the donkey. Abraham told these two guys, stay here with the donkey. Now watch. I and the boy will go over there. He's talking about Mount Moriah. And worship and worship and come again to you. So I don't get it. <laughs> Boys, stay here. Me and Isaac, we're going to the mountain. And I don't know how, but we're coming back. We're coming back. What? How? Church, that's our text. I, this just, this just, it's like, just it blew my mind. It's overwhelming when I saw. We're not told this in Genesis 22, what Abraham was thinking, but we're told in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, what Abraham was thinking. What, can you see it again? Watch this. Hebrews 11, 17. By faith, when Abraham was tested, he offered up Isaac. He went through with it. He was ready. The knife is raised. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Isaac shall your offspring be named through him. But here's verse 19. This is when it, this is when it hit me. Watch. Abraham considered that God was able to even raise Isaac from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Do you see this? Listen to me. Look at me. Abraham, we're in Genesis 22 here. Abraham had never seen a resurrection. He had never experienced one, never seen it happen. Kind of like Noah, who had never seen what? Rain. 
And he obeyed God. So often God asks us to obey him in something new. Because if it was something that we had experienced before, that wouldn't take faith. It's the new stuff. And so Abraham trusted that God would somehow bring him back from the dead. You know what Abraham really knew? Even though it, was confu- it had to be confusing to him. He's walking with his son, three-day journey to Moriah, and he's looking down at him, wiping tears probably. And he's like, I don't understand. God, I don't understand. I mean, it's through him. It's through him that you said that you were going to fulfill your promise. But if I kill him, then you can't fulfill your promise because he's dead. Oh, I don't understand. I don't understand. Unless you raise him from the dead. See? That's why we, that's why we have Hebrews 11 verse 19. Abraham says, that's got to be it. What did Abraham know? That God cannot go against his word. You do understand that. God cannot and will never go against his word. But, oh, we want him to, don't we? Don't we? Don't we? You know what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4? It says, don't live with someone outside of marriage. You know, the opposite sex, don't live with someone outside of marriage. But we don't like that, do we? So, so we go, oh, but God, see you, i got to understand. We're going to get married soon. We love each other. It's 2019, okay? Times have changed, so it's okay. No, it's not, because this is God's Word. This is our authority, and it doesn't change with time. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He does not change with the whims of culture. So often we look at the Lord and we say, Lord, bless my new theology because it's better than yours. You know why? Because it makes me happy. And of course, we all know that God exists to make us happy. Right? Wrong. We exist to glorify God. That's it. We're not on this earth to necessarily be happy. How did it go with the apostles? How did it go with Peter? We just talked about him. This life is a boot camp. It's training ground. And one day we graduate to glory. No, we're here on this earth to glorify God. And so you know what that means? We make the appropriate sacrifices in order to do so. That's why it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to say, I do love you and you do love me, but we are not going to live together because it's outside of God's Word and we're going to trust God's Word. Or you can do it your way. And God says, fine. Hands off. Have it your way. What happened? Abraham got his son back, didn't he? How might that have looked? Oh, take a look at that. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine after the angel spoke to him? Lower your knife, lower your knife. You don't have to kill him. Oh, Isaac, can you imagine the tears? The absolute euphoria. Oh, my boy, my boy. (laughs) The joy. What was provided? I mean, wait a minute. 
They're still on Moriah. They've got the knife. They've got the fire. They've got the wood. What are we missing? The sacrifice. What was it? I heard somebody say it. A ram. A ram? It's a lamb, isn't it? No, it's a ram. What's up with that? Lambs are what were brought. What's the deal with the ram? What's up with that? Oh, this is cool. I want you to see this. Genesis 22, verse 13. You ready? And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. How long do you think it had been there? Could it have been there maybe the whole time, and he just missed it in his anguish? How often have you seen God had already been working in your life, and you look back on that circumstance, you go, oh, my goodness, he was there all along. That's God. He's the provider. Watch it. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Hallelujah. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And that's what we were singing about, about his faithfulness. His faithfulness. So we're here today because we're supposed to be worshiping, right? By the way, that ram was found on Mount what? Moriah. Now you have to go back to about three months ago. But I told you what Mount Moriah was called in the first century. Calvary. Oh yeah. Wait, 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 wait. You mean Mount Moriah where Abraham took Isaac is the same mountain as Calvary where Jesus died on the cross as our substitute? Yes! Can you see this in your mind? Think about this. Jesus Christ walked up Calvary, Moriah with wood on his back just like Isaac. Isaac was a foreshadowing of Jesus. That's astounding. Tell me the Bible is not true. Prophecy fulfilled in the life of Abraham and Isaac. You think that's a coincidence? No. God, in essence, looked down at Abraham and he said, Abraham, you don't have to do it. You don't have to kill your son and slaughter him as a sacrifice <laughs> because I'm going to do it to mine, my boy. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. Can you see the heart of the Father, God? All week, all I, I just I think about Andrew. I mean, he's my son. I got four kids, but I mean, I've got one son. I'm like, so Andrew's sitting back there, and he's going, "Oh, Dad, don't keep doing this." After the first service, I went back there and kissed him on top of the head. I'm thankful for my son. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful that God has not asked me to do that. But you know what he's asked me to do? Live for him, not myself. And get my, quit moaning and groaning about everything that comes my way. Because the world looks at that and goes, 
That person's a Christian? Well, what a belly aker. And they see us rise above, and we offer that as a sacrifice. It's killing us. It's killing us. And people look at us, and they go, wow, watch them burn. Watch them burn. And it's a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord as he sees us sacrifice. Why was it a ram? This is me. I believe it was a ram because the lamb was coming. It was a ram. But 2,000 years later, the lamb was coming. It was a ram 2,000 years prior on Moriah. But 2,000 years later, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world would die on that mountain buying our freedom for those who would receive him by faith. Moriah is Calvary. Isaac didn't have to do it. Jesus did it for you today. So here we sit, church. We have finished the worship service. But it's not been worship unless there has been sacrifice. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.